Hi, this is Paul, and you're listening to Arconnect Sessions, episode 124. On today's show, I'm joined by Mimi Zeiger, Hava Danielson, and Michael Sweeney, three of the editors in the just-released LA Forum Reader. We discuss the 30-year history of the LA Forum for Architecture and Urban Design, and how this new publication traces the conversations about LA by members of the architecture and urban design community since the organization's conception in 1987. So... For people that are listening to this that are unfamiliar with the LA Forum, which I, is it still referred to as the LA Forum for Architecture and Urban Design, or is it just LA Forum? It's the LA Forum for Architecture and Urban Design, now and forever. <laughs> okay, but often, often uh, shortened to LA short. Forum. LA Forum or the Forum, uh, depending on who's shorthanding it. Yeah. So, what is the Forum, and why was it started? When was it started? The Forum's been around since about 1987. In kind of various forms you know it's been always been a volunteer group a volunteer board usually with minimal funding and you know looking at pretty much the city of los angeles and and focused on as its name implies architecture and urban design and so as a result there's been a lot of, you know there's been a lot of, kind of cross-pollination between it and other organizations other schools other you know practitioners in town and you know that's it's generally it is man never we've we've never managed to have a uh, a consistent point of view or kind of mission i think other than as a, as a format for people to do the kind of events and writing and and, pro, and kind of you know kind of artistic production that they're interested in at that point in time yeah, the forum just entered into its 30th year and uh, i think what's really exciting about the forum is maybe it is an example of community driven engagement with ideas of architecture sort of almost at all costs like the forum does exhibitions publications events it's been critical in sort of launching some of the initial sort of speaking engagements or sort of exhibitions and sort of and installations by young architects here in los angeles so for 30 years it's been a very sort of i would almost say fragile kind of organization so yeah, as Mike said, it's all volunteer. It's an all volunteer working board who puts all of this together, usually a group of about like 10 to 20 people. And I think what's exciting about it is that we are all in service to these ideas around discourse. It's not a professional organization. It's not an art organization. It, it is very much people who are driven by sort of desire to have cool things happen in Los Angeles around architecture and urban design. Do you feel like it's always been exclusively kind of buy in for the industry? Very much not, okay. actually, I would say. Um, I think that the origins were people who were employed or were earning a living in, in one way or another as, as architects, and that wasn't satisfying, right? That they needed a deeper conversation, they needed a more exciting conversation. I would say that most of the original group came from the East Coast. And so Los Angeles was this object of, you know, they were still trying to figure out what to make of Los Angeles. And there was uh, definitely an absence of a kind of level of cultural conversation that wasn't part of a tradition in Los Angeles architecture. Our Los Angeles architecture was very professional and service oriented, and they were actually st stepping up to make a deeper conversation, right, to allow for a different kind of conversation to happen. So how important has the authors or members of the forum's relationship to the city of Los Angeles, how important has that been to the LA Forum and 
what these people can contribute to the forum. Is it a an organization and series of publications that reports on the city from a perspective of long-term residency? Mm-hmm. Or is it the a review of the city from people that are new to the city? It's been, it's been both. I mean, yeah, definitely, yeah. you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of the people like myself and I think like running the room here who were not from LA, you know, that, that it's been a place where people showed or, or who've been away for a while. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I mean that there's been, a, you know, and I think some of that has been, has led to people, you know, has led to people writing things about the city in a different fashion. And also I think it's, you know, you got to kind of also, we got to wind the clock back a little bit to, you know, the late eighties and early nineties when, which, you know, was not a great time for the industry, not a great time for the industry of architecture. People had, some people had time on their hands. And also a lot of the issues that we are now talking about and that you see really first talked about in the forum about everyday architecture and some, you know, the kind of how how urban design and architecture really function at a kind of day-to-day quotidian level weren't necessarily popular topics. I mean, part of the, I've always referred to the forum as kind of, it was, you know, it's always been kind of the op-ed page for the profession because Mm -hmm. at one level, it's not response. We're not responsible for educating the children. We're not responsible for defending the profession. And the, it's been able to use that kind of, limber kind of DIY structure to give for people to get enough leash to go out and look at something different that maybe is unfashionable, <laughs> unpopular, or, and, and a lot of times that's what proves to eventually be the cutting edge. And I think that that's like, again, the, the interesting thing going back to, you know, to the book at hand is you are seeing ideas really in their kind of protean form in a lot of these cases that 10 years later are a much, much more kind of consequential academic portion of academic discourse. I think the relationship of the forum to Los Angeles is really um, central to understanding the evolution of it. Because as I, as I said before, that the early folks were really looking at LA and studying it as an object. And at that time, urban design was not interested in Los Angeles. It was an anomaly. It was considered a large sprawl of suburbia and nothing to look at. Nothing here right? Move on. And so these were the first part of an early movement, right? Of, you know, eventually there was something called the Los Angeles School, and they published a pamphlet with that title. But in the very early days, it really was, they really were staking, laying a a stake in the ground and saying, no, we're going to look at this, we're going to study it, we have a lot to say, and we, right? And, and, And it's been ignored. I was one of the very, very few Angelinos involved, you know, say, five, seven years after its founding, and had a very different point of view. We had a lot of very lively conversations. But I think that's really important that that all these things were new ideas. And today, 30 years later, the ideas that were considered very unusual and, and, and only barely of interest to academic circles are now central ideas to ideas about urban planning and urban design and what it means to be a city in the 21st century. And so the the writing and the response and all of the action, the activity that's going on in the forum now takes that for granted. And so the evolution of what we think of as metropolitan conditions really is visible, right, in the timeline of what's going on in the forum and the conversations that have been had. I think what's really always been quite important to the forum is there is an inherent tension between ideas of sort of experimentation and built experimentation and then experimentation in terms of sort of reevaluating the city and looking at Los Angeles as an important sort of context for this work. You'll see that in sort of the 
writings that we include in the reader. You know, maybe one from Aaron Betsky is sort of called, you know, sort of out around the Out There Doing It series, around all of these sort of emergent, as ser- actually it's a series that still exists within the form. All these like young architects doing like experimental new work and sort of putting new ideas through form out there. And someone like John Chase, who was the um, urban planner for the city of West Hollywood and an incredible writer and uh, just an amazing person who's passed. But he was always sort of looking at the everyday urbanisms, at the kind of um, reading of the city, even beyond, say, Rainer Banham's sort of take of of, of loving L.A. Like he was like immersed in the alleyways, in the signage, in the dumpsters, you know, all of these things. So we were getting both the kind of sort of merging urban form with sort of ideas of sort of experimental architecture. Before we jump in too much into the reader, perhaps we can look back at kind of the history and chronology of the publications from the forum. What kind of form did they take over the years and and how did that evolve? Or was there any clear evolution? Generally, I mean, if they followed a cup, they went in sort of groupings. And I think you can kind of, you know, it's kind of clear looking, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, that it, a lot of that goes with the kind of changeover in the board that, you know, that, that certain groups of people would be interested in certain types of publications. So when it first started, it was a series of pamphlets. And there's a, a couple of them in there. There's Craig Hodgett's Swimming to Suburbia and Ecology of Fantasy, which are, which were literally Xeroxed and stapled. I mean, very much like, they're very much of an era <laughs> of cultural production uh, when that, when that was literally the easiest, cheapest, quickest way to be able to do something. And that evolved, you know, there was a series of those, those overlapped with the beginning of the the newsletter. And then there's been a couple of other kind of, you know, series since then of pamphlets and, you know, the relaunch of the newsletter. There's There was a era where it was mostly all on the web. And, and I think that part of this has been kind of wrangling some of that together. And interspersed with that, there were also some larger publication projects like Experimental Architecture in Los Angeles that was published very, very early on, you know, and infrastructural city, which came along in the, you know, the early 2000s, you know, that that some of the stuff did get collected at different times, but that that whole breadth, particularly the kind of pre immediately pre-digital stuff, you know, that was done on computers, it was published because of desktop publishing, but it wasn't online. It was the stuff that, that I think part of this project was like what I always found to be kind of valuable was to kind of keep this stuff from just completely disappearing. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the digital, the stuff that's online, you know, worse comes to worse, we can go to the Wayback Machine, but the stuff that literally existed just as a little zine is the stuff that is most kind of ephemeral and temporary. And I think that that's the, and that's actually, you know, it's all great stuff, but there's some really, there's some real gems in that, that for the his for understanding Los Angeles and understanding the discourse around architecture and urban design, it's got, you know, people have to know it exists, it has to know it exists, it has to not be completely lost. There's an absolute through line between actually what has a spine and what doesn't, right? <laughs> so when I was on the editorial committee, this was always the big thing. Is there enough material that we can get a spine so that Princeton Architectural Press might be willing to publish it? Because at a certain point, they said, we can't touch things without a spine. No one can see them on a bookstore shelf. Now, that sounds like an incredibly pragmatic point, but I think what it does is it's a reflection of where the form was at the moment. You know, are we more interested in these kind of manifesto-like ideas? Is the newsprint with the staple a reflection of the fact that, you know, architect, the, the profession was in a bad way financially and we were all kind of broke and just doing it? Or 
it's a combination of all those things. It's it's I think that the moment where you have the zines, where the zines reemerge, is precisely the moment where people are more interested in being more controversial, in more manifesto-like ideas. And the moments where you have the nice mm-hmm. books, right? It's a moment of a different attitude toward the toward professionalism, right? The seriousness of our ideas, maybe the applicability or or domesticated nature of the ideas that people were interested in promoting. So I think all of those things are really evident in the product, in the pamphlets that we have from those years. Yeah, and I think that's why we, in the in sort of the creation of the editorial for the reader, that we needed to hold on to both. So in the reader, there's the reproduction of many of those pamphlets in their entirety so that you get to see an, you know, an entire copy of Margaret Crawford's Ecology of Fantasy and the exuberant graphic design that was involved in that, you know, sort of 90s design with the text that, you know, goes upside down and turns sideways and shoots up across the page. You know, that that was part of why you would make a zine or why you'd make a small pamphlet. Um, is to be able to have that kind of freedom. And then we also pulled from sort of newer content from a few of the online pieces and pieces that were in the annual. So we always, you know, there was sort of these different eras of publication. We sort of pulled and excerpt from many of those as well. So there's a kind of call and response throughout the reader of what is an object and, and what is a text. Did you ever consider rather than kind of photo documenting these uh, original publications was it ever considered to actually recreate them and somehow include them into a into the reader I, I think we discussed it my recollection is we discussed it very briefly but it was i mean i think that there's a i think that that goes you know that that that, that goes to the whole kind of issue you know a whole, a whole kind of question in the project is is how much how much is the is the goal of this book to replicate and stand for the messiness of the ideas and what it is to kind of, you know, wrangle it into a more kind of cohesive format. I mean, I've, I think I even have, I don't know, if, I think it's in my essay that's in there. I've had some line about the fact that it has never been a consistent size for any of these books. Every book the, the forum published with like, if they are the same size, it is probably by accident <laughs> that, that like, it is such a heterogeneous bookshelf. If you've got it up there, that part of this was, I think, either maybe maybe less ex- overt but just as a, as it as part of wrangling the ideas into a format an understandable chronology we sort of wrangled some of the the physical format into a chronology that you could kind of understand mm-hmm. and that does mean there's i mean there's some some projects that like recombinant images which was a series of photographic postcards which i think it does lose a little bit seeing it on the page rather than as this weird little box of things that you un, that you unpack but i don't know that i think it's more important that people actually know it exists and be able to find it i mean i think the this thing could get really McSweeney's really quickly if you, if you're not <laughs> careful. And, exactly. Yeah, I don't I mean, think we wanted to be cute uh, about yeah. it, and um, also in terms of the way that Jessica Fleischman and still of Stillroom did the design. Like we wanted to echo some of the character of those original pamphlets and the original newsletters, but we didn't want to replicate them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue that this is not a nostalgic publication, Mm -hmm. that the emphasis on it is about sort of bringing from the archive and a kind of like dubious archive at that, that lived in a lot of like people's trunks and in back closets and 
was kind of crumbling, but bringing that into the present so that it actually tells us something about the present, um, about the need for more people to make these kinds of weird publications. How did you go about the process of digging through the archives and and editing and and selecting pieces for this for this new book? Well, I think, as I said, you know, the the original impulse was it just began as this incredible need to archive some of these things. They were crumbling back in the 90s, some of them already, because they were so ad hoc. And having done that, right, it became very clear that the ideas were important. It wasn't just the objects that were important, that the ideas were important and they had renewed relevance. And again, you know, it's nice to hear that they continue to do that. They continue to resonate. Was so, that a requirement for the pieces that you selected for this book, that that they re- remain relevant today? You know, the bulk of the editorial was done sort of in two different stages. So um, Hava and Joe Day, you know, sort of developed a large body of content that was sort of passed along to the uh, different editorial teams at different times. And in this last pass through the content, I think we did read it with an eye for what is going to have the most meaning and what still stands today. And that did mean adding some new pieces and maybe taking out others. So in in sort of rejiggering sort of the direction, uh, not the direction, but the um, some some of the thematics of it. Yeah. But yeah, I think overall, you know, we found a body of work that was surprisingly fresh and the voice of it. And so actually, I should say voices, like because mm-hmm. they're very singular in their voices, were kind of free from certain academic tones or any kind of um, sort of design criticism preaching. But they were they were really kind of free. And I think we wanted to capture those qualities. I think in general, I mean, some of it just became a little self-evident. I mean, with the benefit of 10 or 15 or 20 years of hindsight, some pieces, some pieces seem still seemed relevant today. Those are the ones that we tried to continue include. Other ones might be less relevant, but still seem to be important or have a point, a, a point of view. And other ones didn't age that, you know, for, you know, time, technology and, and opinions change. And so I think that there was, it wasn't, the majority of them fell into one of the buckets pretty quickly. There were, there was only a few where I would say where somebody had to really kind of get up and fight for it mm-hmm. or fight against it. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, we did we did pull a lot of the technology. There was there was at one point there was a lot of time when there was a lot of news, newsletter articles that were really looking at the kind of dawn of the kind of digital age in architecture and how technology was affecting that. And I think those in some ways aged the worst because mm-hmm. either it came true or it became very very non compelling. I mean, it's like reading about the dawn of the internet at the same time that. that these are some of the stuff came to pass and some of it was is is, is it just never happened. And, I don't, and, and we didn't, you know, since this wasn't a project that is purely archival, those are the ones that kind of, I think, got kind of moved off the scales to make room for ones that we found more compelling, more interesting, more just, you know, in some cases better written, yeah. you know. Or, right. or even sort of new questions that had emerged. Yeah. In, yes. in the years since the um, questions of preservation or and late modernism, for instance, and how how do we look back on or even define, say, uh, Los Angeles brutalism? Like some of these questions had come to the table, more historic, more sort of self-reflective, and we wanted to include some of those. So the editorial categories that we would have picked in the 90s, I think, are different. Some of them are the same and some of them are different. And so I think there's a moment where a piece that's clearly historic and isn't about c- 
current issues, but resonates, that changes a little bit. So one of the chapters that we had previously was theming and everyone at that moment, it was a big deal at the end of the 80s and the early 90s. By the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, everyone was a little uncomfortable with it. And one of those most significant articles comes back because branding, theming is branding and branding is now quite current. And so all of a sudden, this 30-year-old article about Euro Disney has resonance, Mm -hmm. right? And we wanted to include it because it was very good, but we were all very uncomfortable about it including yeah. the author, actually, uh, was all very uncomfortable because it, theming felt very dated at that moment, in that interstitial moment. And all of a sudden, the import of that, right? Returned. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So that's really interesting, yeah. I think. The evolution of the thing is very interesting. I'm, I'm interested in the um, type of categories or themes that you bundled the content into. And also, um, was there an effort into creating kind of a story arc or a narrative throughout this, this book? Or is it just an eclectic mix of publications? I don't think there's an arc. I don't think there's a story arc other than the sense that if you read it from beginning to end, you're going to, you know, it, it does describe in a lot of ways the changes in the city of Los Angeles over the past 30 years. I mean, without necessarily having a story about the riots and a piece about <laughs> something else, you re- you don't have to, you don't have to, you can, you can see the echoes of that go through it and i and i think that we we did not try to kind of force fit everything to the right to you know force fit it to the curve um you know yeah there's there's four big buckets we should say are chapters in the book which are experiments detours hunches hunches and santa anna's and and even just in saying those all out loud you realize kind of how slippery uh those terms are um and I think, uh, you know, if we were to sort of try to wrangle those back in, we'd say like experiments really is kind of the formalisms that were developing in the 80s and 90s in Los Angeles and how those get expressed. And detours become sort of the questions of urbanisms uh, that are, you know, sort of with us now, um, but also include questions of theming or everyday urbanism. Then we move into hunches, which is where what Mike was saying about some of this technological moves, uh, you know, those those kinds of things that seemed on the verge of expressing something and maybe sometimes did and maybe sometimes didn't. And then finally sort of ending with Santa Anna's and the big nod to Joan Didion and and questions of Santa Anna's or Eve Babbitt's, as I, I write in my intro to that section. But the idea that there's these changeable sort of hot winds, these kinds of things that unsettle us in Los Angeles. And how do we begin to bring those together? And then in between those pieces, we have these things we're calling interludes. And those interludes include questions of art and architecture and an incredible interview between Nahava and Margaret Crawford about public art, which, you know, is 20, 25 years old at this point, but actually like really quite relevant to conditions today, an interlude of several essays around downtown Los Angeles. And you see this kind of continual tracking of downtown LA from, you know, so the place of sweatshops and, you know, the old theaters, you know, in swap meets to what we see today. And, you know, with, you know, sort of fancy bars and, you know, sort of as a destination of sort of gentrified Los Angeles. And so being able to sort of have these little clusters of sort of very singular point things in relationship to these sort of more loose buckets, I think was a a strategy to try to tell a lot of story 
in a pretty like condensed way. Were there any surprises along the way that made you think about LA differently, either based on pieces that you were already familiar with in the past that you're rereading in a different way, or maybe discovering new pieces that you weren't originally familiar with? Well, I know we did. I know we definitely discovered some new pieces. I'm just trying to think, like <laughs> having having read and reread and reread these things so many times. I'm trying to think of what were the ones that really. The one I actually remember, we ultimately it was literally one of the last ones cut. But there was a phenomenal obituary for Frank Israel yeah. that that was like you know we have a very flex it was a flexible structure but unfortunately it proved not to be that flex you know flexible enough but it was like you know that there you know that and the only reason i'm talking about something that's not even in the book is you know people, it's worth it's on it's on our it's on the website think people can find it but it's a, it's a it's a it's both a snapshot of a kind of time and a place from when he passed and it also it stands as a marker for why he was important in the first place and he's somebody who really has kind of kind of fallen out of discourse i mean because of because he's not around to defend himself in some ways and, you know that his that the 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 arc the kind of received arc of of how architecture developed in you know in los angeles he's he's not as as he's not as much in the foreground as i think as, as, as i would make an argument he should be and i think there was definitely pieces like that where we would be scrolling through something and be like that really got to try to find a place for that <laughs> i'm trying to think of what are some other ones I had a very funny experience, which is that there's a piece that I wrote. So when I was describing before that I was one of the few Angelinos in one of the earlier groups, right? And so I wrote a piece called Returning to L.A., which is discusses a lot of the things that we were all seeing in L.A., but from the point of view of someone who was maybe more cynical and less gee whiz, perhaps, about it. <laughs> and so I reread it again just when I got the book. And I said, oh, it's about gentrification, <laughs> which... There was no fear of gentrifying downtown at the moment I wrote that, <laughs> right? Downtown was a very abandoned and somewhat dangerous place at that moment. And now that I've read the article, I want to thank you for putting it in. Um, now that I read the article again, oh, I see. It's all about gentrification. So that's, I think, what we're talking about is that, you know, people really wrote things and discussed things in a way that they put themselves out on a limb. And there's just so many examples of that being prescient or, and you know, and it isn't about predicting the future. It's about being in touch with something and really feeling something honest and powerful that we then later understand just how mm -hmm. important it might have been, right? That was fun. I was surprised by my <laughs> self. So the reader seems like a really valuable collection of pieces for anybody within or outside of the architecture industry to kind of trace the the discourse in architecture specific to Los Angeles over a period of uh, 30 years. I'm wondering how it will be utilized, if at all, by the LA Forum in uh, determining a, a path forward, you know, looking back at, at, at these writings over this 30 years and, and going through this I'm sure, a very lengthy process of, of editing the publications. Well, so Mike Hava and I have all graduated off the board. We've um, done our service many, many times over. Yeah. And there is a, you know, a group of people on the board who may not know these histories, you know, sort of the passing of, 
of what happened forward doesn't isn't always clean and easy. And I think this is a really great shortcut for a lot of folks on the board to be able to sort of easily delve in to some of these ideas and discourses that they may be feeling, um, mm-hmm. you know, they may have hunches about. Um, Maybe required reading. Yeah, for new required members, reading yeah. for new members. <laughs> we can also add a whole bibliography that includes like Mike Davis and various other pieces on in it. But, you know, I also think for, you know, I don't, how do I say this? There's a lot of young designers coming to L.A. who still, you know, if, you know, 30 years ago and now still think that L.A. is the place to do anything like you can just come and like do it and it's all there and there's no history here. And so you can just make. And I think this reestablishes like a history to be responsive to, not that you have mm-hmm. to like necessarily respect, because I think, you know, we're, we're not you know sort of square like that. We'd, we'd, but we want people to have something to maybe sort of friction against well, it's a history to be aware of at least. yeah to, you know be, I mean? to be aware of to play with to be inspired by that is expanded from sort of the you know the guys in venice making decon architecture right like or the kind of postmodern experiments that maybe happened a little bit later like this is a, a written discourse of of a, a period of time and a sort of a continued sort of effort to wrangle with with the ideas of what it means to make architecture here in la I think this iteration of the reader really lives. It's really vibrant in the way we've been discussing that it really shows how ideas that are 30 years old and 30 years old sounds like an eternity to a young person who's only 30. But it really, you know, it really is the opposite of the archival. It really is the opposite of stopping history and summing it up, right? It really, it. I think that the pieces in this reader, in fact, challenge a younger generation who thinks they know more than they do just how potent those ideas were and just how incisive some of the early, you know, writers and architects in the forum were. And and that history is not something to be dismissed or set aside, but it really challenges you. It's really living and really challenges you. I think this is a very challenging book and it should be a bit disarming, in fact, yeah. right, to new members of the forum. Yeah, we um, also have an interlude that's straight up reproductions, very fragmented of the newsletters themselves. And they're kind of cut and pasted. And, and I would almost say like, hey, that's a gauntlet down for a generation, today's generation, to like go make some cool publishing stuff, like go take take this, if we could have done it <laughs> in various <laughs> ways, on the cheap, in recessions and not, you know, sort of take these informal contents and begin to make them your own, your, your own toolbox, sort of your own set of ideas, begin to play out all of these conditions with what you have and, you know, whether that is a digital piece or whether that is a printed piece, but that we all want to be in the mix. And it's, it's, it's a loud and lively conversation. Um, one last thing. I'm I'm uh, I'm really curious about the design and layout of the reader. LA is kind of known for a very distinctive style of graphic design, especially people like April Griman and kind of early SciArc style. And and I know that the forum has really experimented with graphic design over the years in a variety of ways. But the reader tends to be very subdued graphically with a kind of a a matte brown cover while there's still typographic reference to kind of early early 90s, late 80s graphic design. What was the process in working with the graphic designers? You mentioned who they were before. I Please remind it's, me. Who? Jessica Fleischman of Stillroom um, with uh, Jenny Kim. Okay. What were some of the decisions made in, in how to visually present this reader? 
one of the really early decisions was that we weren't gonna we weren't gonna have it try to be kind of of that era. Mm-hmm. You know, that we wanted we wanted them to do something that was contemporary. You know, that I think if we all tried to put on our eighties eighties and nineties hats and go back there and redo it that way, it would really would feel like a greatest hits album. Mm-hmm. And this and the point and what we wanted this thing to do was to stand on its own as a again, as not just an archival piece, but something that is of our time as well. Because Again, building on what Hava and Mimi said before, this is sort of, yes, it's sort of summing this up, but it's sort of offering, you know, this is, this is an offering for the future. People can do is, you know, pick up the ideas or not, or pick up the format or not, but it's a, it's a, it's starting off point for further, for, you know, further investigation. This isn't the opposition's reader, which is a giant tombstone of, of, of ideas and was completely done in the style that it would have been that you know it would have been done at the, in that era and so there was some discussion but i don't that I don't remember that ever being very contentious about whether it was going to look of now or of a time i think it had to look of now yeah and that to recreate it was somehow yeah well, i mean it wasn't it wasn't true to jessica's style and jessica's also a board member. And so she was sort of doing it under her labor. So we wanted something that was really true to her style. But also when you look at all of the publications from the forum, they're always in their own time. They're not trying Mm -hmm. to be anything but of that moment. And so we wanted to stay true to that. In terms of the color, you know, which is this sort of taupey, purpley brown, it's actually a couple different colors, and, and then like a lighter tan that goes in and out. I guess We went back and forth on color a lot. There were times where things were green and times when things were darker, sort of maroons. We found, I don't know, for me, I think of this color as a kind of the, if you uh, think of like John Fonte and Ask the Dust, you know, like it is kind of the like the brown of dirt on strip malls. Um, (laughs) When I saw it, I originally thought, you know, the color palette looks like, you know, the color you get after you've been painting with a bunch of different colors (laughs) and you mix them together, which seems to me very rational in terms of what you're doing here. You know, it's and and I I actually don't don't read it as a current design. It's more of like a timeless design. I think, in my opinion, it doesn't really represent any time period in particular without five years from now. It'll it'll look like a current design. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, but it is with a spine. Right. It is the grown up trajectory and not the manifesto trajectory. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was meant to last. It was meant to be taken seriously. There's an elegance to it. There's Mm -hmm. no question. So it's definitely right. It belongs with the other books with a spine. Yes, of course. So this book will be launched next week on the 12th. This will be having an event on the evening of the 12th uh, with various readers so not the reader itself but the uh we'll have the reader there for purchase but we also have people uh, who've participated in our out there doing it series picking some of their favorite pieces from the reader and performing them this is an effort to try to merge those two sides of the forum the publication side and the sort of architecture and design sort of uh, building side so um we will have that happen and we'll have some comments and we'll be at the mac center i think at 7 p.m and that's open to the public? Open to the public. All right. And where can people buy it now? Uh, you can buy the book now. If you go to ACTAR's website, you'll find the LA Forum Reader available there. And the books, we had an independent bookseller near you and mm. probably very soon Amazon. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Paul.
Well, that's our show for this week. Many thanks to Mimi, Hava, and Michael for trekking out to our recording studio in Pasadena to share the story of this exciting new book. As you may recall, last week I mentioned that this week we would feature my conversation with Sharon Johnston and Mark Lee, recorded during the LA Design Festival. That episode is still coming, so stay tuned. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about this podcast, you can reach us on Twitter at our Twitter account, ArcSessions, or with hashtag ArcConnectSessions. You can also send us an email to connect at ArcConnect.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes. Thank you and talk to you next time.